Hill, thank you very much for joining us today on the Business Leader Podcast. Now, we'll get into everything about Go Henry and kind of your journey and everything like that very shortly. I wanted to start with a very important question, which hopefully will give the rest of the the, uh, the podcast some context. So who is Henry of Go Henry? Ah, that's a question I am often asked. And I have to say, most people make a massive assumption that it must be the name of my son or something like that, which it, which it isn't. Um, when we launched um, back in 2012 in the UK, uh, we were actually called Pocket Money. And uh, that was spelt P-K-T-M-N-Y. And we very, very quickly realized that was a bit of a dumb name to have called the business because uh, every time we appeared in the press or even sometimes when people phoned us up, um, they would kind of say, oh, it's like tech speak. Do you see... Um, text speak do you see what they've done there or they would stumble over so we decided we were going to change the name of the company and because one of the things I've always talked about and continue to talk about is learning by doing and having a go we decided we were going to call it go something and then believe it or not uh, at the same time we were having this discussion over at the other side of the office one of our operations team was working through our customer base at the time and flagging all of our beta testers who we had given 20 pounds pocket money to uh, trial um, the business, trial the app and see how it worked. And she suddenly piped up and said, guess what the name was of the first child ever to use one of our cards. And now you know what I'm gonna say, it was Henry. It was an 11 year old boy called Henry who lived in Bristol and uh, Somebody in the marketing team said, go Henry, and it stuck. So uh, that's why we're called Go Henry. And I have to say, Henry is now, gosh, he'll be 22. And uh, he came in with his family and spent some time with us, did some, did some content for us when we reached 1 million customers. And then he came in again with, he has two brothers, um, came in with his brothers and his parents, uh, in at the end of 2022 when we had our 10th um, anniversary of being live in the UK and they launched a feature called Go Henry Grads which is kids that have grown up with Go Henry and are now adults and uh, kind of did a little bit of a talk about uh, what he's learnt, how he uses money now, um, what he's doing with his life um, and yeah he's uh, he works as a comms manager um, in a large organization in Bristol. So he's doing very well. Yeah, no, that's so brilliant. And, you know, we'll get a little bit more into kind of, you know, the company um, that, you know, you've, you've grown so successfully over the last decade. But let's kind of focus a little bit pre-Go Henry, if that's all right. Tell us a little bit about your kind of uh, your, your business career up till then. It started in retail. Um, I, coming out of university, I got a placement with the House of Fraser on what they called a graduate fast track um, course and uh, I went to Cardiff and spent two years working at Howells of Cardiff moving around all the different departments getting whisked off to London to do various training courses and it really was a fantastic um, grounding in all things retail that then led to e-com and um, I, I ended up doing a, a very large project for an American consultancy um, who were helping 
um, to launch next directory for the next group at the time. And I led that, uh, led that project, which kind of led me into all things e-com. And uh, I was lucky enough to be, uh, be around at the time when the retail industry was kind of transitioning to, to digital and was involved in launching the first wave of e-com websites and setting up the operations behind the e-com websites for some um, very familiar names to people in the UK. So Next Directory, John Lewis, Debenhams, the Innovations Group, Pastimes, um, all, all kinds of people. And I'm so intrigued as to the, the the mindset of an entrepreneur. And at what point, obviously, you know, you'd expect someone who's gone to build a business such as yourself uh, to have some kind of banking experience and, you know, like heavily into the financial sector. But at what point did you just decide, you know what, there's a gap in the market. I'm starting a business and I'm going to do this. Kind of tell us a little <laughs> bit about that background. Well, yeah, that's exactly how it exactly how it started. I don't have a background in banking at all. Be, you know, having worked in retail operations, e-com operations for 20 something years, it does mean a lot of experience in the online world. And it means leading large scale cross-functional projects and teams, um, both of which are hugely transferable skills. Um, I should say also that I, I launched an e-com business back in 1998 which um, we managed to sell four years later to a large retail group um, and learned from that process um, that you needed to build for scale from day one. So, um, you know, that I think various things in my background have given me a good basis on which to launch Go Henry. But um, no, I had no background in banking. It was It was more a case of, being in operations, you learn to stitch a supply chain together, you learn to um, build processes and figure out how things have to work. And you learn a lot about building and leading big teams. So all of those things um, led me to the point where when I saw the gap in the market um, that was causing me pain as a parent that I couldn't teach, couldn't find anything to teach my kids um, about money and get them to understand every time they click that iTunes download button, they were spending money. It, it gave me the skill set, I suppose, to believe that I could uh, go out there and do it. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And we also talk to a lot of young entrepreneurs who kind of say that, you know, kind of they're, they're young and dumb, if you will, is their kind of USP in a way that, you know, they, they ask all the questions that maybe someone who's established in a, in a sector wouldn't necessarily ask. Do you feel that you're not necessarily knowing too much about the financial side of things led you to kind of create this product, which has scaled so incredibly over the past decade? Yes, without doubt. Yes. Um, you know, when when we started researching it and, and looking at how to build it, um, we got told you can't do that and an awful lot. Um, you know, we, we got told um, you're not allowed to give a child a card. You can't use a, a prepaid card um, framework for for doing what you want to do. The regulations say no. And, and if you just keep asking and keep saying, well, why is that? Or show me the clause in the regulations that says that, actually, most of the time, it isn't the case at all. And there is a way through. And um, yeah, I think constantly asking questions is, is a very good mantra to have, whether you're uh, experienced in a sector or not. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's brilliant. And, you know, you you, you did co-found the company. So yeah. kind of tell us a little bit about that kind of early stage journey of looking for a co-founder and really kind of kicking on as far as the young stage of the business goes. Well, there were, there were three of us who founded the company and um, we had very complementary skill sets. I've kind of already told you a little bit about mine, operations. Um, and uh, one of the other founders, um, we all had kids at the same school, incidentally, but uh, one of the other founders um, was a guy who uh, was hugely experienced in complex tech infrastructure. Um, he, he'd spent the previous three or four years um, building um, a version of Sky for Ericsson in, in India. And um, the other guy who I founded the company with uh, had a marketing background and um, marketing agency background and was was therefore perfectly positioned to, to kick off the, the marketing of the company as we launched. And as far as that early stage, so you kind of mentioned this this perfect almost puzzle of putting these people together to to really start growing a business. But you know, you, you have to you have to start somewhere as far as funding goes. And you know, you've gone on to do some incredible fundraising, which we will kind of touch on a little bit later. But that kind of genesis of the journey when you thought, you know, we're gonna do this, we're gonna go hell for leather and actually start this business and change change the world almost like, you know, create something completely fresh. Tell us a little bit about that kind of early funding journey. Uh, well, one of the things I'd certainly learned from the, the previous company I'd founded was make sure you raise enough money to start with um, and make sure you give yourself enough headroom, head headspace within that funding to um, be able to go out and get the next round of funding without, without uh, uh, having to close the business down or sell it. So um, we went out to Angels and, and um, what I always think is a, a, an interesting name, but high net worth individuals um, and uh, did an awful lot of pitches. People often ask me if it's like Dragon's Den. And I, I say in, in various ways, the last 11 years has been like Dragon's Den. You're, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, as a startup, as a scale up, you're constantly um going back to investors and pitching the business and uh finding funds to to take your next stage of growth through so yeah we we went out we raised um just under seven hundred thousand pounds um to to start the company and that allowed us to build the product um create all the relationships with all of the banking partners that we needed to um get to market um, and do sort of the first uh, few months, year of uh, of marketing. I'm sure having the USP of you know kind of teaching kids how to how to save money and be more money, you know, kind of smart. I'm sure when you're in the room with the investors, especially if there's parents in there, they'll be like, "I know exactly what you're talking about." Pretty much straight away. Was that was that kind of the, the, were those the conversations you were having? Well, do you know what? It, it's interesting. Right at the beginning. Um, you know, I, we use this phrase now that we pioneered the category, which, which sounds incredible, but 12 years ago, we did. You know, when we were, th there was no such thing like this in the world, um, which sounds crazy. And so that those first pitches were met with quite a lot of why on earth would you give a child a card? Or, or is there really a market for this? Will, will people go for it? Uh, if you look at where the markets move to now, um, people don't question that at all. You know, they can they can see 
um, our success in the space. They can see other people have entered the market in the UK and, and, and in Europe um, and in the US. And, and there isn't that question mark. But yeah, the for sure, the audience divided very neatly into people who had kids from about the age of six or seven and above and those who didn't. And those who didn't, it was really... Uh, quite what we were proposing was quite foreign to them you know again kind of sticking on that funding you look at that kind of timeline 2016 you actually broke records as the largest equity crowdfunding on crowdcube raising <laughs> four million pounds yeah. which i mean in that in itself is just absolutely mind-blowing and you know then a couple of years later you you you've raised more money on top of that but you know when yeah. you kind of look at at crowdfunding you know 2016 it's it's very much in its in, infancy itself um were you kind of drawn to crowdfunding because they were almost a disruptor in the same way that, that you were? Was that something that ever kind of crossed your mind? Very much so, yes. Um, although I have to be completely honest, we we kind of thought, we, we looked at crowdfunding, we seemed to tick all of the boxes or all of the key boxes in terms of, uh, you know, we had a customer base, we were a B2C proposition, we had a mission-led business where people could could kind of grasp what we were trying to do and buy into that. Um, so we ticked all of those boxes, but we very much thought we would do the crowdfunding and see what we could raise through that route. And we would go to um, venture capital as well. We'd, we'd go to VCs and, and look for investment through that route as well. But as you said, the um, the crowdfunding was a, was a runaway success. And we raised, we had to turn it off because at that point in time, there was a limit you were not allowed to go above of 5 million euros. And at that time, that equated to just about 4 million pounds. And so we had to switch the crowdfunding off and we didn't need to go to venture capital funds to, to top up. And then again, when we went back in 2018 and did a second crowdfunding round, we raised 6.2 million. And again, didn't need to go to venture capital funds. And um, that was, you know, it was amazing. Uh, don't think that crowdfunding is easy. It's it, You have to treat it as a giant marketing campaign, a giant, really intense marketing campaign. Um, but it is a fantastic route to funds. And also to, um, you know, having having a wide range of investors who really believe in your proposition, um, which which was great. This next question, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say as a parent myself, um, <laughs> everyone knows the name Go Henry. If you're a parent, it's it's come across your you know your your device. It's come across anything. So you're 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 very uh, you're a very loud disruptor, shall we say? Um, and I'm <laughs> quite intrigued about um, with this disruption what. Uh, the um, reception was from some of the established uh, financial companies and thinking banks uh, specifically. But did you have any kind of conversations or kind of run-ins with banks where it was either <laughs> like, a, we're going to squash your proposition or a little bit, you know, kind of maybe a, a little bit like don't don't come into our space, uh, you know, kind of in, in, that, in those early stages? No, not at all. Um, no, it, it's... Uh... I found that very interesting, actually. I, I, I didn't expect um, negative um, pressure from um, big financial service players and banks. I did fear in the early days that uh, as we gained traction, that um, you know, some of the big high street banks with very deep pockets 
might see what we were doing, think, hang on a minute, there's a great idea, um, and just blow us out of the water because they would be able to um, offer it free of charge. Um, and that really didn't, well, it didn't happen. Um, what did happen a couple of times was, was um, some of those big names came and spoke to us about either the possibility of, of us building something for them or, or using partnering with them in some way. Um, and those didn't go ahead, but I'm sure you'll be aware that uh, NatWest um, last year bought uh, Rooster, who, who is a, a GoHenry competitor. And um, they are now offering Rooster to um, some of their premium customers um, as part of their services. So, you know, the market is, the market's shifted. We've maybe, I should say, we've created a market, um, but uh, the market shifted. There are more players in the space, particularly in the UK. And um, we need to make sure we um, continue to stay relevant and, and keep our leadership position. I'm, I'm gonna throw in a stat this is my favorite stat at the moment because I think it's it's incredible. One in five children in the UK between the ages of 10 and 12 have got a GoHenry card. That is a brilliant stat. Like, mm. That's, that's really incredible. Again, like, you know, the, the visibility and what you've done with your brand is just is just fantastic. And, you know, that's something, again, as a parent that, you know, you, you know the name. It's, it's just there. And, you know, to, to get to that stage and to, to grow your company to that uh, stage, which, again, we'll come on to the acquisitions that you've made and, you know, you've undergone an acquisition yourself. We'll come on to that in a second. But, you know, you have to build your team around some really, really talented, people and you know obviously yourselves you've got such brilliant uh, skill sets all of you as you kind of mentioned at the beginning there but you know how did you find kind of plugging in the right people and you know unfortunately for scaling companies the right people are very expensive and it does kind of hurt your bottom line a little bit but how did you find that experience of kind of plugging in the right people to really kick on it and grow the business the way you'd want it to I think for any business, um, the the hiring process and the, and the people you pick to join the team, it, it's a critical part of of whether you're successful or not. And um, you know, one of the things I learned many many years ago is not to be scared of hiring people that are better than you or know more than you. And um, you know, if I look around our senior team at Go Henry, there are. Um, so many people who are a lot better than I am at all sorts of things and certainly know a lot more than I do about all sorts of things. And, and um, so that's been something we've, we've actively done since day one. Um, and I think what that does really then is, is put, a, a, put a requirement onto, you know, me as a leader, anybody else in the team as leaders, to let them do their thing. You know, if you hire somebody who's um, an expert in a, in a particular area or incredibly skilled in a particular area, the worst thing you can possibly do is try and micromanage them. Um, you just need to stand back and get out of their way, you know, kind of give them, a, give them the sight of the goals that we're working towards, but then get out of their way and let them, let them deliver. And, um, you know, to that point, probably about five, six years ago, we were, we were growing incredibly quickly. And um, we hired um, over 200 people within a very short time frame. I realized I'd become a roadblock, not because I was deliberately getting in people's way and, and stopping their expertise, but 
because so much of of what we did or why we did it or where things were or who they who you needed to speak to about something so much of it was in my head or buried on my laptop somewhere and and that I think snuck up on me a little bit and obviously it was creating a risk for the business and stopping us growing as quickly as we could so um I, I started a campaign across the business to identify what what we called single points of failure and I have to say rather embarrassingly I appeared in it quite a lot but we spent gosh I mean it was more than six months really making sure that we disseminated the knowledge around the business that responsibilities were clearly delegated that more than one person knew how to do things or where things were and and that's a discipline that we've maintained today because it, it, it it's a way to make sure that your business is as resilient as it possibly can be but it also means no one individual is a roadblock and um you know it's that was a learning for me and and uh, if i'm i'm quite often asked for tips that would be a top tip don't let that moment sneak up on you plan ahead make sure you're sharing information and and um cross training delegating responsibilities right from the start yeah no that's that's a, that's a really really great tip and you know thank you for your honesty that and you know kind of again just kind of focusing on that for a little bit um you know, it's it's such a great thing for people to say, like, you know, get out the way and stuff like that. But then at the end of the day, there's there's ego, there's, you know, there's this is my company, I've built it. Can you kind of think back to when that was all kind of happening? Was there a moment specifically where you were a bit like defiant and then it kind of the penny dropped and you were like, actually, this is this is it? Or, you know, just a little bit of a reflection of that that specific time. I think there are I think that happens all the time. You know, I think that you could all you could also apply it to parenting. You know, you, you think as a parent, you think as a as a business leader, there are many times when you'll look at something and think, oh, I wouldn't have done it like that. That doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, as a parent, you have to let your kids learn and do things and they might not do it the same way you would. Um, but that doesn't mean it's wrong and they won't learn unless they do. And if you then apply that to building a team in a, in a work environment, um, you need to let people do what they've been brought in to do. And they might not do it the same way you would, but unless there's something fundamentally wrong with it, or it's contrary to the, the company's mission or, or goals, you can't do everything. If you seek to do everything, you're, you're in, in doing that, you're, compressing the size that the company can ever grow to you know you'll end up with uh, four people in the company and not very many customers that's the perfect analogy i absolutely love that that's probably the most eloquent description i've heard of it so that will <laughs> definitely be very useful and you know let's kind of go to october 2022 that's um or sorry july 2022 that's mm -hmm. when uh, you acquired pixpay and i want to just kind of kind of focus on that acquisition specifically and obviously it was a very good strategical move because it brought you into Europe but there's so much that goes into an acquisition um, especially one from a company that's you know not near yours it's you know there, there's there's cultural differences there's a lot goes into it so give us a little bit of a, a, a kind of snapshot of kind of how that came about and and any kind of challenges you may have come across while while that was going through I think the last the last 18 months have been um <laughs> such a journey um they've, they've been incredible 
we we started a project we we launched i should say first of all we launched in the us in 2018 and started to build our business over there and we built it ourselves and and, and decided to take that route we had decided that it was time to launch in the eu uh, we could see that there were one or two players beginning to launch in the market but it was still largely white space and um, we got to a place where um, we were confident we were we were ready to launch there so we were running a project um, <laughs> was originally called organic or inorganic um, but I couldn't remember which one was which so we ended up calling it buy or build and it was to establish were we going to build ourselves and launch in Europe or were we going to buy um, one of the competitors that had, that had set up there. And uh, obviously, as part of looking at the competitors, we, we looked across the, across the whole of Europe for um, potential partners, potential acquisition um, targets. And we met the team at PixPay. Um, they had launched uh, two years previously in France and the previous year in Spain. So they were operate, operating across both France and Spain. Um, they had a service that was slightly more geared towards teenagers than ours is. So it's from 10 to 18, whereas um, GoHenry in the UK and the US operates from 6 to 18. But when we met with the team there, Benoit and his team, um, you know, they they were such a nice bunch of people. They They talked like us. Their mission statement was almost exactly the same as ours. Um, they thought like us they were all about well they were totally mission-led they were all about teaching kids um to be smart with money teaching teens to be smart with money um and enabling french and spanish parents to, to give their kids the tools to do that so we started talking to them about acquisition and yes as you say in in june uh, 2022 we we completed that deal um and since then we've launched in italy as pixpay um, and uh, that happened in January this year, and um, they're preparing the the next country for launch at the moment as well. So um, really looking to uh, help them um, expand across the EU because, as I said earlier on, that there really is white space at the moment, and yet the same need. You, you mentioned about the the cultural fit and the mission-led fit that you had mm. with PixPay. Were there other similar type companies that you looked at that it very quickly became apparent that maybe this wouldn't be the best cultural fit? Yes, I, th I, I think so. I, I, you know, one of the things that I think differentiates GoHenry, and, and I, PixPay sits firmly in that camp as well, is that this is what we do. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not providing, we don't have a main product and a service for kids is a little, is an add-on on the side or a um, low cost acquisition channel for our adult services. It, it, you know, we, both we and PixPay launched in order to provide a service to parents and kids. And, and it's what wakes us up in the morning. It's, uh, it's what keeps us up at night sometimes. And it's what, um, you know, between just PixPay and GoHenry, we've got 350 people. That's why they join us. That's what they want to be part of. And yeah, sometimes when you look at certain other, um, when we have in the past looked at certain other companies across Europe, that's not really the reason that they're in the market.
and that would not be such a good mission fit with us. And again, kind of coming back to that buy a buy or build um, ethos that you had. Obviously, you mentioned the expansion into the US, and you know it, you would you would have put at that stage, you know, a good few years into building brand presence here in the UK. But as soon as you start expanding, you know, across the pond, next thing you're starting with a black canvas. Was there almost a part of you that was like a little bit frustrated? It was like, now we have to start this all over again. Were you just completely <laughs> excited by the challenge and kind of focused on on, on building? You've just stolen the word I was going to use. Uh, not not frustrated. It was it was excited at the opportunity. You know, it's 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 an amazing thing to. Uh, take a concept to a, to a market and, and launch it and and then go through the learning process of, you know, do the three or four call to actions that work best for us in the UK, can we use them in the US exactly the same or do they bring us a different audience? And, and guess what? Some of them, they did bring us slightly different audiences. So, you you know, the same mantras apply, test and learn, test and learn, you know, keep keep trying new stuff, keep trying new calls to action, new approaches, um, learn which ones work and then then go, uh, you know, expand out from the ones that work. Yeah. And I'm quite I'm quite intrigued about those differences between, for example, you know, Europe and, and the US compared to obviously the UK. Was there anything in that kind of building out the brand and obviously, you know, kind of getting to know PixPay that really surprised you? There may not be, but it was there anything that was kind of like, wow, that's actually really interesting how there's this subtle difference in the way that we market ourselves or we need to put ourselves out? That's a good question. The, the, the most recent one we've been talking about that, that comes to mind um is is launching italy uh when um, benoit and his team at pixpay were preparing to launch in italy um we had a lot of people telling us oh you know it, that it might not work in italy italy's very cash based um italy's far more conservative than than france and spain um oh i don't think they're going to be ready to give their kids uh, a, a debit card and and will want to do this we were having this discussion actually in the senior team and and i said do you know what 10 years ago we this sounds incredibly arrogant so apologies for it in 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 advance but 10 years ago in the uk we created a market so why would we think that we want to listen to people who say italy might not be ready why wouldn't we want to try it and um uh, Benoit was firmly of the, the same opinion. So clearly we tried it, we've launched. And um, to date, I mean, we're, we're talking in July at the moment, um, acquisition has followed exactly the same path as in France and in Spain. And, um, you know, the cost to acquire a customer is very, very similar. The rate of sign up is very similar. The um, propensity of, of people to respond to what we're offering there is very similar. So um, I guess that's a don't listen to the naysayers necessarily. Um, the opportunity to get something in a market and test it, that's how you learn. Um, not not listening to uh, not listening too much to warnings. Yeah, no, that's it. It's exactly the same as the beginning of the of the journey that you mentioned. So yeah, that, mm. that's a really interesting thing. And you know, fast forward now to April twenty twenty three, and there's the uh, acquisition from uh, Acorns. Tell us a little bit about that and how that kind of came about. Unbelievably, we've been talking to Acorns for over two years. Um, they first approached us 
back in 2021 um, to talk about uh, joining with them um, actually at the time in, in a SPAC. Um, but uh, sort of at the time we were talking about that, the SPAC market became very volatile and we both decided that was perhaps not a good idea, but that we'd keep talking to each other. And, um, and again, uh, the, the synergies between the two companies were the, the mission. Um, so Acorn's incredibly well known in the US. Um, they have over 4 million customers. They, they started with um, easy access investing. So a dollar a day investing, um, roundup investing, and, and their mission absolutely to, to enable uh, what they call everyday Americans to build for their future and, and be confident with money. And um, it just made such sense um, that, you know, we, we offered a child and teen product. They offer all sorts of investing and banking services for adults. Both of us, um, well, if I include PixPay as well, all three of us uh, with education embedded throughout everything that we offer so that that we're we're trying to make our services accessible to the widest range of people possible um and uh so just after we closed the deal with pixpay um we we opened talks again with with acorns and started really trying to fast track merging as a as as uh, as a company so the three companies all merged together and um, we closed that in uh, at the beginning of April this year. Um, so uh, yeah, really excited by that and all of the opportunities that it brings to to go Henry uh, to expand what we offer to cover all stages of, of a customer's life from child, teen, all the way through adulthood. That's, that's a really interesting uh, blend between them. And, you know, obviously, like you mentioned with PixPay and with Acorns, you're on both sides of an acquisition uh, process here. Um, do you have any kind of tips that may be kind of, you know, listeners or, or viewers who are looking at you kind of listening into this conversation and being like, right, what tips do you have on on either side of this uh, of, of this journey? Goodness, that's a good question. We ended up with uh, the um, the PixPay acquisition, uh, our Series B um, round closing, because that closed in November 2022, and the Acorns acquisition. At one point, they were all happening at the same time. And I don't think I've ever spoken to quite so many lawyers in my entire life. You know, we'd, we'd rock up on, the, on a Zoom call or a Google Meet call and There'd just be a sea of lawyers there. Um, I think my top tip would be remember why you're doing it in the first place. Remember why you want to go into this acquisition or this merger or whatever it is, because, um, you know, you can get lost in the, not lost. You can get um, caught up in the, the due diligence, in the conversations with their lawyers, in the conversations with your lawyers, just keep remembering why you want to do this because I think that drives that steers your decisions it steers your answers it steers the risks you're prepared to take or not um, the whole way through the process um, you know the position on the due diligence the the responses that the things you're asking your lawyers to go and fight for the things you're pushing back maybe against with uh, the other party's lawyers 
just keep talking keep going back to the uh the the people you're doing the deal with themselves and remember why you're doing it no that's such great advice and you know but we're talking obviously as you mentioned in july but it's still very very fresh that you've transitioned from your role as coo to ceo how have you yep. found that transition so far and um you know what, what does this mean as far as yourself personally as a business leader how are you going to change your day-to-day -day approach to the business I I think over the last 10 years, I, I've, there is almost a point every six months, certainly every year, where you need to step back and say, okay, what do I need to change? What do I need to, what's the next phase? How do I need to adapt what I'm doing, how I spend my day to day, how, what I'm focused on for the next scale of growth, the next stage of growth. And this is another, you know, it's another version of that so yes my title's changed um and i'm i'm really honored to uh take on the role of, of ceo um i think it means i need to put my money where my mouth is <laughs> which is exciting um and uh, i i think it's just another one of those stages where you know i've had to say okay what do i need to change what do i need to carry on doing um and uh and, and how do i do that so yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, where we go from here. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Centre to bring you the Good News Postcard. Louise, your question today comes from Hayden, age 10. Hello, my name is Hayden from the newspaper centre at Castlebatch Primary School Academy. I'd like to ask you the question, if you went down a different business career, what would it be and why? Gosh, Hayden, that's a really good question. Um, I think my head has been so full of Go Henry for the last 10, 12 years that I, I've not really thought of, of other things. I've always joked with my friends that maybe one day, if I ever retire, I don't know if I can imagine that day, I'd love to run a cheese shop. Um, so I'm betraying my passion for good cheese there. But to give you a more serious answer, uh, I think, do you know what? I think it's it's building things or fixing things. That's what I've loved doing all of my life. Um, my my ex-husband used to laugh at me if we if we stood somewhere because he could see me getting frustrated, maybe in a cafe or a shop. He'd see my face getting frustrated and he'd, he'd look at me and say, I know what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, I know. But can't they see if they move that there, this queue would disappear and they... <laughs> So I love fixing things and building things. I'd go and find something else to fix or something new to build. That is a brilliant answer to a brilliant question. Thank you so much, Louise. And obviously we are business leaders, so we have to ask you the question, what to you makes a great business leader? I should have been ready for that one, shouldn't I? I think it is somebody prepared to stand at the front, um, but I'm going to echo back to my a response about hiring great people prepared to stand at the front and shelter their teams when they need to be sheltered but prepared to get the heck out of the way to let your teams deliver what they need to deliver yeah absolutely spot on and do you have any final words for our audience today talk to your kids about money never mind whether you use go henry or, or uh, anything else talk to your kids about money don't don't do that terribly british thing and keep it all secret 
um, talk to them, get them involved, get them uh, playing games with money, get them having a go. Absolutely. It's, it's so great to talk to you, Louise. It really is. And, you know, where can people find out a little bit more about Go Henry and, and, and kind of follow your journey? Uh, really easy. Go to gohenry.com and you'll find us and all about us. Uh, and probably if you dig deep enough onto the website, a little bit about me as well. 